Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Deep, the podcast about sport, faith, and life. I'm Brian Bolt, kinesiology professor and men's golf coach at Calvin College. I'm Chad Carlson, professor of kinesiology and director of general education at Hope College. And we are coming to you again from the audio studio of Our Daily Bread. Our Daily Bread is a ministry that distributes resources all around the world, helping you and me build our relationship to God. And and actually, I I wanted to talk a little bit about Our Daily Bread. Uh, Chad, recently we both attended the NBA Chaplain Conference and today is opening day for the NBA. Now, th- that's basketball. Do you know anything about basketball? <laughs> I'm so happy to be talking about basketball rather than golf. But I tell you what, this is such a warm group of guys that we got a chance to spend some time with two weeks ago. It was fantastic. Uh, a really excellent program, very similar to the Power Up Conference that also happens here at Our Daily Bread. And we're, we're very thankful to be able to be here in the studio today. And we're really thankful that... We have a guest in here with us today. We sure are. We sure are. Very excited about this guest today. So Amber Warners is uh, a colleague of mine, and she is uh, going to be a speaker at the upcoming Congress on Sport and Christianity, which will take place in October 2019. And we had said that on this podcast, we're going to spend some time talking to our guests. Uh, Amber stepped in and uh, on short notice has shown up here and We have this opportunity to interview her, and and this might not be the last time. I know Amber's good in front of a microphone, so we're going to ask her a lot of questions today. Great to have her here. Amber, just by way of introduction, can you talk a little bit about, you know, your your job, the things that you do at uh, Calvin College? Sure. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm a professor of kinesiology at Calvin. I teach the intro course for our kinesiology majors. I also serve on several committees. And my probably my specialty is sports psychology. I have a master's and a PhD from Michigan State. Um, and I'm also really uh, kind of blending that with some technology use uh, that I work use for our team. Um, and then I'm also the volleyball coach. So Amber, you have uh, credentials academically and also some great credentials a- as a coach. And you mentioned the sports psychology. I'm usually a little bit surprised that more coaches don't don't dig into sports psychology just to help them as coaches. And I wonder if you can talk about the symbiosis between those two things, your coaching and then the sports psychology, how those have helped. Sure. I think sports psychology, when you think of it, most coaches think of that as soft science. And whether they don't really believe in it or they do believe in it, I'm not sure many coaches know what to do with it. Hmm. And I think with textbook things for sports psychology it's easy to look at a textbook and go we can work on um, imagery we can work on breathing techniques but in my experience as a coach and probably more from our losses um, I have sort of blended textbook with real life experience knowing what works and what doesn't and uh, I think have develop some things with our program that have really helped our players equip them to know what to do in certain situations um, when they fa- face themselves under a lot of pressure. So within the world of sports psychology, it seems like there are subsets of folks who are doing maybe less practical work, more theoretical work, and then there's a subset of people that might consider themselves to be uh, sports psychology counselors. How much time are you spending with your athletes in what you would consider to be conversations that that in some ways mimic counseling? 
That's a great question. I I think we, in everything we do, there is a sports psychology element, mm. whether it's talked about or not. So from the different drills to the activities we have our players engage in on a day-to-day basis, there are things built in with that. Um, I think talking to them, I would say probably three to four times a week where we're sitting them down, uh, whether it's for a cu- couple minutes to several minutes where we are having them practice and do different things that allow them to uh, have it become natural into what they're doing on the court. And Amber, you and I have had an opportunity to work alongside each other for some time. And and I don't know if I would turn to anyone uh, more than you in terms of asking advice for how to deal with teams, individual players, uh, setting a culture. And so you talked a little bit about those losses, those moments where, you know, everybody's dejected, feeling down, maybe even personalizing those sorts of things. Can you give us an example of what you might say to a player or a team in those moments when they're starting to question themselves? Yeah, I, I um, for me, it's not, it's not a hard science. It, it's difficult for me to be able to answer that. I think since I started coaching and maybe since I was an athlete, uh, interpersonal relationships and reading people in the way their eyes look uh, has just become second nature to me. And, and I guess when I think about that way, I would consider that a God-given talent. And sometimes that gets me into trouble. Sometimes maybe I'm over-reading people's body language and their expressions. But the dynamic of what's going on in somebody's mind while they're trying to do something uh, and how that plays about, it's very much on an individual basis. So we talk all the time about, one, not having your identity in our sport, that, that part of this plays, right? Having it not be so important in your life that something negative happens, it's affecting the rest of your life as you're going forward. Um, but I think it's it's getting kids to believe in themselves through the pain and the failure. And it's not bailing kids out of that pain. So, you know, in sport, it's we're not talking a really high level of pain, but it's still real um, when you lose a, a tough match. And so I think working through that and allowing you to feel comfortable on, are comfortable with the uncomfortableness of not having those good feelings um, is important for today's, for everybody to, today. And those are the kind of life lessons, I think, that are really important to not bail kids out, but to help them walk through it with them, whether it's stuff going on on the volleyball court as a team or as individuals or stuff going on outside of the court. And so those are some of the things that we address. So you mentioned identity, right? This idea that I'm pretty known around campus for my my sport, right? And in your case, it's volleyball, but in, in other cases, student athletes are, are kind of known for something. And often from the outside, that's considered a positive, right? Wow, that's what a great life to be able to be known for something like being a star volleyball player and, and maybe even a national championship level player. All-American, all those sorts of words. Um, is that always true that people um, really lean into that identity, or would you say that that is a mixed bag? 
I would say that's a mixed bag. So I think on one end you can, our women have confidence because they play in our program and they're known around the community or around campus as a volleyball player. I think there's a part of that that they really like and, and a part of it that I really like. The hard part is when you uh, start to question whether that identity is the reason why people are seeking you out and giving you the attention. So in a case, you know, we've built this program that's been pretty successful and there's always this feeling of, well, if we do this, then are we going to be worthy no matter what happens? And if we, and then we do that. And then the next time we go, well, wow, if we can make it to the Elite Eight again, that would be, that's a pretty good thing. And maybe people will really like us for who we are, whether we win it or not. And what we have found is, at least what I have found, and maybe it's because I've been in it more than four years that a player is, right? This is over time, that I keep trying to get to the point where I feel people are going to accept me for who I am regardless of whether there's going to be a W or an L. And the problem with that is you keep, you keep, there's never an end. So it's never good enough. You can win it one year and then the next year you have to do it again or you have to, and when you don't, there's this silence. You don't get the text anymore and you, people don't know what to say. And then you start to question everything about who you are. Um, and it's almost like you are buying into what the world wants you to buy into. But as a Christian, uh, you know and understand that that's not what life is really about, nor it should be. But you're getting this constant message back and forth. And it's this constant battle inside yourself to feel worthy. Um, and I know that our players have gone through that. Um, and to have, be able to to talk about it with them, that the identity, the main identity is that we're children of God first. Um, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to really adhere to that. This is, this is fascinating. This, this answer specifically to me, um, I want to remind our listeners that we're speaking to a three-time national championship coach talking about uh, players and, and their feelings of worthiness. And this, this is really interesting content to me. We, what I hear you saying, I think, is that we want to avoid finding our full identity as an athlete or in the sport that we're playing. And yet we hear and, and we seem to believe culturally that, especially for young women, having an identity in terms of sport and being able to develop skills that is an identity outside of the things that are so shallowly promoted in our culture, like um, uh, looks, for instance, to have an identity as something that is attached to a skill set can be a very positive thing. Can you speak to maybe that that fine line, not having too much of our identity in a sport, and yet understanding that there is that there may be something good about having part of our part of our identity be attached to um, our performances? I think having been given talents right from God to excel in something that you are very passionate about and for us it's the sport of volleyball for our players um, but also being grounded in the fact that real joy doesn't come from that right and in the perfect world volleyball we could experience the pure and we still can experience pure joy in doing the activity but at the same time that also can be shallow mm. right so 
having three national championship rings in my office has given me a sense of joy in the journey in attaining those, but it's really shallow when it's done. Hmm. Because what does that represent that's really anything meaningful? And that's, I think, the balance of giving everything you've got on a day-to-day basis for a purpose within a team, right? You're trying to win a match. Um, And doing it together the right way in developing relationships, that's in your control. I think we talk all the time about what is in your control and what is not. And at the end of the day, are you going to look back and have any regret about how you could have done that day different or that match or that season? And that is one thing that we talk about all the time. So whether it's growing in our faith during the season, growing in relationships, growing on the volleyball court, to do everything we can to the best of our God-given abilities and be okay with the result at the end. Um, And understanding that um, God has given us those gifts, but at the same time, that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to um, like the end result. And that either way, it's about how we're honoring and serving God in the process of how we're doing things. That I think is has to be the meaning, um, the lasting meaning. Amber, do you think that you started to talk a little bit about just the relentlessness of sport? This idea that in our minds we build up, you know, if I get a national championship then I will have validated myself and I'll feel good for a length of time. And then it turns out that's not true and you need a second one. And then it turns out that's not true and you need a third one. Maybe fourth is is the final one. Can you tell me um, how you go about dealing with that relentlessness of sport? And do you think it's similar to other aspects of life or do you think sport is unique that way? On a day-to-day basis, um, that's that's one of the most difficult things for me to do as a coach, right? So we were I didn't even we were nineteen and zero going in we were sixteen and zero going into the weekend fifteen and zero, and we play a really tough opponent. This who weekend, has, yep, the match of their life, our fourth one, we end up losing, so we're nineteen and one. Um, it it's um it's incredible. When you have, when you've done what we've done the last 10 years, now there's no more excitement for when you do something great. The only thing you can do is drop. So the hard part is staying within your bubble, understanding what you're trying to do in a program and and having the right foundations and, and big picture things. And staying in that bubble, but yet being cordial outside of your bubble and listening to some of the comments that you get in responding in an appropriate way that it's the, it's it's never it's doesn't matter if it's four or five or it's just going to keep coming at you so at some point you have to start living with and that's what I go back and forth with and something that I struggle with all the time because you can't expect any team to ever lose to never not lose and but yet we've built this thing that people expect us never to lose and so it's really difficult to live in that tension and i don't know i don't have the answer some days i do really well and other days i don't 
Right. And we often hear from people that have achieved great things, at least from an earthly perspective, right? We, we hear from the famous uh, athlete, but also the person who has made a lot of money, uh, maybe even a lottery winner, uh, potentially someone that, that um, is in movies or television and everybody knows their name, maybe music. And this theme comes up over and over again, this sort of shallowness, shallow is maybe not the right word, just the emptiness of having to continually maintain uh, that level of excellence for the same level of response from other other people. And so the, my question is, would you say that you try to uh, get them to moderate or deal with the responses of other people? Or do you say to them, let's think less about other people and think more about our relationship to God. How, how has that been um, sort of a counseling point as you work with players who actually carry the burden of teams that came before them? Sure. We talk all the time about being in our bubble, but you, you don't want to become a hermit and um, not interact with... We don't want to become a, a, a cultish group of people where we can't interact with other people and the outside of us. I think it's a mistake to say we're not going to we're not going to listen or to uh, engage with anybody else. Um, but I also think that's part of life lessons that you teach your your children that sometimes you're going to have other people talk to you about things that you might disagree with or you might think, wow, I can't believe they're actually saying this to me and how you're going to respond to that. that I think is an important way. And we talk about that in the locker room. We talked 10 minutes after Saturday about what the next few days were, was going to be like. And boy, those upperclassmen sure gave a lot of advice to how they have felt in the past. Can you describe this being in your bubble? You've, you've mentioned that a few times now. And I guess I'm I'm interested in in hearing you describe what that is, why that's important to us, and and what that means for uh, for your athletes and for their development. Being in their bubble. Being in the bubble to me means that we are investing in one another unconditionally. It means we're going to be holding each other accountable and working on our weaknesses and our strengths together. It's loving somebody even though maybe uh, we wrong one another. It means staying mentally tough together um, and not listening to the outside of the bubble of all the chirping coming in, whether it's about playing time or um, I think you should be out in the court or why is this person playing and this person is not. It's about growing in our faith um, together, praying together, prayer partners every week, uh, meeting for chapel on Fridays. One of my favorite things all season has been spontaneous praise songs on the way home from uh, mm. matches, right? It just gives me goosebumps. Um, it's about being sisters in Christ, like we're a small church community, and we're going to let nothing penetrate uh, the pureness of that. Um, so there's all kinds of levels to that bubble, but we're going to all stay bought into what the group needs and it's never about ourselves so that maybe gives you a little bit of a taste of of what being in the bubble means to yeah me. oh ab absolutely it, it seems to me that at least in my experiences of sport uh, that bubble is so fragile and you're talking about protecting a team or protecting people within the team from outside influences that can really kill 
a culture. And as you describe this, um, it, it makes me think that there's such a healthy culture that you have on, on your team, in your program, that's gone on for years now. Um, what are some of the some of the key ingredients to that? So I'm, I'm asking this um, not as a as an outsider <laughs> trying to get the inside information, right? The the, the secret sauce, but the idea being that um, at a Christian school where you've had a very successful team, I think sometimes maybe uh, outsiders might look in and, and when they try to, to to prick that bubble by uh, assuming that there is sort of a self righteousness or a piety that that is there, but what is it about this culture that, that, uh, that makes it so, so healthy, so successful? Um, you know, for instance, are you, how much of this are you d- dictating for the team? You said spontaneous praise songs. That, that, that's wonderful. I, I love the idea that, that your athletes are singing praise songs, but that it's spontaneous too. It seems like there's something real and something vital about the culture if things are occurring spontaneously. How much of this do you dictate or how much of it has come about through careful cultivation over time? I think in the beginning, it, it I think it takes a leader who has a vision for what they want the group to be able to do and to push people in a group to get them to believe in something they, they never thought possible and to be able to get them to buy in so well that they are the ones that are monitoring the culture because they care even when the head leader is not there. Hmm. And I, I would say now, and we've had women who are have great character, who are very talented at their sport, um, who care about how they leave the program. And so our juniors and seniors are not going to let any newcomers in that are going to disrupt that culture. And if that happens, one, we try to weed that out in the process of the recruiting, right? We want to get people that are going to be great fit for us and our culture. But if we have somebody that comes in that isn't and that has happened, then they don't usually last, Hmm. Um, whether that's from me or themselves that they say this is not a good fit for us. Um, And so what's really interesting to me is our juniors and seniors are almost the ones monitoring it and I'm guiding them, but it's coming from a whole lot more people than just me now. And it's, it's humbling to me and very overwhelming sometimes to lead a group of women who have bought in so fully that um, you're almost a little nervous, like, what have you done? Right? And it's a, it's a really, really good thing. Um, and to see how God is working through that. And I think nowadays we have women come to our program who have never experienced anything like it. So when they get in, they're like, wait a second, we're going to play volleyball? Like almost the volleyball becomes secondary to what we've got going on. And I sometimes have to remind them that, yes, this is still... We need practice. We need... This is still a main focus. I'm not sure you do need practice. Uh, Good point. (laughs) We're talking to Amber Warners, Dr. Amber Warners, who is a kinesiology professor and the women's volleyball coach at Division III Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan, a very successful program, one that she's describing for us a little bit today um, and and this is this question I have is is not meant to be accusational but it, it might come off in kind of an odd way because I'm I'm sitting here listening to some of this mm-hmm. and I wonder about sort of that outsider and you talked about it a little bit where 
when you have a, a team, even though you work in a, in a Christian college, most of the people listening here may be working with Christians, but they wouldn't necessarily have everyone on the team buying in completely. Uh, is there an accommodation for the different places in faith that maybe some of your players are? Do you think there's ever a pressure to conform in faith? I think we're very careful. I think that if there'd be pressure, it would be from the day-to-day being a part of something. Um, We don't, in our program, we don't force anybody to contribute when they don't want to. I think we have women in all different stages of their faith. Um, We have had women that have come in and they've been shell-shocked by how much we, how much faith integration we do in our program, even though They've been told that multiple times in the recruiting process, um, and it's completely changed their life by the end of the four years. And so in that aspect, I think there's room for anybody, but at the same time, um, the people that come into our program need to understand that this isn't just a we're going to pray before we play type of a program and that's it. It's truly a part of who we are and if somebody wouldn't agree with that that wouldn't be a good fit and and the other thing I think is important to say here is the volleyball part is cutthroat this is not about who are the nicest people we can get in our program and we're going to keep the nicest to buy in the the dilemma here the 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 edginess is we have really high talent, really high, highly skilled, high talented women who are really good at volleyball, and the competitiveness within our team to be on the court is really, really tough and really high. And so, the balance of that versus I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna love, and I'm going to support, and I'm gonna encourage somebody who's playing in front of me. And can I really do that in my heart? We're having women do that. And um, and not to say that they're happy about not they're unhappy about uh, or they're they're happy about not playing, but that that's part of the day to day life that we all have disappointments and trying to strive for things every day that you have to deal through, deal with and work with. That's really the sport a sport dilemma in any team, isn't it? That uh, I'll often say to players on my team, you you're going to be competing really with or against your fellow teammates and rooting for them at the same time, which is really this odd connection. And both of those are true. And it's really difficult to um, carry that through, especially if they came from an environment where it was toxic. And so to to try to build that culture sounds like you've um, had a, spent a lot of time doing that level of counseling that allows students to process that, student athletes to process and sort through some of those odd feelings where uh, I'm trying to get myself on the on the floor, which means you're off. And yet at the same time, when I'm not there, uh, I'm rooting for you and I feel support from you when it is when it is my turn. That's exactly it. And that's um, that's not that that sometimes has to be learned when you get into the program. Um, and sometimes doesn't happen right away. It's a, not an easy, that's that's a giving of the heart, right? That's a, a letting go and accepting. 
So Amber, we're going to have to bring this this conversation to an end. It's been fascinating, and it really just scratches the surface on some of these topics. And so we're hopeful that you'll come back and talk to us again in the podcast. And we're really looking forward to your keynote address uh, a year from now in at the uh, Global Congress. Just to wrap up, I think Chad has a few questions for you, just to maybe so the audience can get to know you a little better, and we'll see how we do on these. Okay. Amber, we have a, a rapid-fire set of questions <laughs> for you here. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I can't either. Let's start with this. Of your three national championships, do you have a favorite? If so, which one? All three different. I think 2010 was the Cinderella, unexpected, pure joy um, so not that I have a favorite because they really were three different paths. But your first one, I think most people will say is, is you know, you won't ever forget. That's good coach speak. That's a good, a good political answer. Very good. Uh, your favorite sport to watch outside of volleyball? Uh, and, uh, NHL. NHL hockey. Wow. Interesting. Really? I did not know that. I didn't either. You didn't either. No. This is great. A particular team? Uh, Red Wings. Red Wings. I really like baseball too. Okay. I like the cat and mouse game. A baseball the strategy. Yeah. The pitcher batter relationship. Yeah, that's a fun one. That's good. How about your favorite sport to play? Uh, I would say volleyball. Okay. Do you have a second? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Volleyball. It is. That's it. Pure. It's volleyball. That's good. Favorite famous athlete. Brett Favre. Brett Favre. Ouch, that, really? That seemed like an easy answer. That came right off your tongue. Do you want to take more time? I, you know, I guess I'll never forget when his dad died and he showed so much heart and emotion that next game and had one of the best games. I, I He's kind of like that blue collar. I love blue collar athletes who just, not to say, I mean, he's very talented, obviously, but just it's the grittiness. It's the sports psychology. It's the I'm going to under pressure. Um, that's what it attracts me to the, the players that I like. The gunslinger. You know, I'm not a Detroit Lions fan like, like you are, Brian, but he was an easy guy to like. I mean, he's talking about heart and grit. I mean, the guy had it on his sleeve, right? Sorry, he's a Packer. Uh, he's a Packer. <laughs> Amber, best advice you ever received? Uh, live in the moment. Live in the moment. That's great. Best advice you've ever given to your team? Best pregame, postgame talk? Best one-liner? Always give each other the benefit of the doubt. That seems like pretty good advice. Mm. Seems like something. I, I, there are like 10 I could give, so. <laughs> of course, yeah. All kinds of good advice there. The most satisfying part of coaching for you? The relationships with the women, hands down. That's all I have for this segment. What a fabulous uh, time to get to know Amber and to get to know a little bit more about her approach to sport uh, with her student athletes. It's been uh, fascinating for me, Chad. And Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Thank you for having me.